Welcome to part two of Mary's story. When we finally arrived in Bethlehem, I was exhausted and foot sore. Joseph kept insisting that I ride the donkey that he had borrowed in Nazareth for the journey, but my hips ached so badly that it was easier walking. If anything is easy when you are great with child. It was early evening and chilly when we waited in the busy street outside a modest home on the outskirts of Bethlehem, waiting for Joseph's second cousin to open the door. To the left of the front door, I saw their animals had already been corralled for the evening, tucked inside their stalls that looked into the main living area of the house. Look! I lifted the hem of my dress and poked my foot out, my sandal straps dug into the swollen flesh. Joseph's eyes widened and he tightened his lips, shaking his head. Mary, I told you to ride. I dropped my skirt over my feet with a huff. I didn't want to ride. Despite my aching feet, I thought my puffy toes were kind of funny, but clearly my husband wasn't amused. You need to put your feet up as soon as we... Joseph scolded, but was interrupted as the door flew open. Cousin! A large man bellowed. His dark eyes twinkled above his black, bushy beard as he ushered us inside, flinging his arms around us and kissing us soundly on both cheeks. Welcome! Welcome to our home! The house was very similar to my parents' home in Nazareth, though much more crowded. Over a dozen people were seated on wide, low cushions on the right side of the large living area, eagerly partaking of the evening meal. A plump, rosy-cheeked woman stood by the fireplace on the opposite side of the rectangular room, pulling bread from the built-in oven alcoves on the sides of the blazing fire. The flames of oil lamps fluttered in their earthen pots, tucked into nooks every few feet along the stone walls. As we climbed the two low steps to reach the main floor of the house, I noticed the goats to my left, munching hay from the stone mangers placed strategically in front of their stalls. The animals could not venture into the main living area, but they were kept warm in the communal space, as well as providing their own heat to warm the living area on these cold nights. I took in a deep breath, and my stomach growled at the fragrance of savory stew and yeasty bread. Only a hint of hay and the earthy smell of animal hung in the air. I smiled approvingly to myself. Joseph's cousin, Levi, kept a clean, comfortable home. Meet my wife, Ruth, Levi said in his loud, genial voice, holding out a hand to the woman near the fire. She wiped her hand on an apron and then embraced me with a tight hug. Welcome, Mary, isn't it? She said warmly. Then she placed her hands on my protruding belly. Oh, my dear, sit, sit, sit. Chana, Aliana, she called to two girls around 10 and 12 years old. Bring me those two cushions and that blanket too. Come, come. She created a comfortable seat for me near the fire and pressed a bowl of stew with a hunk of bread swimming in the broth into my hands. Thank you, I sighed as my weight sank into the pillows. Every muscle ached from our days on the road. I'm so glad to be finally here. Here, Ruth said, gently pulling my shoulders forward. She placed a rolled up blanket behind the small of my back. How is that? Wonderful, thank you. I remember, she said knowingly, turning her back to tend the food. You won't be long now. That's what everyone says, I moaned, taking a large bite of the broth-soaked bread. But I'm starting to believe that he's never going to come, Ruth laughed. Every woman thinks that. Oh, I know I did. 
She motioned her chin towards her two daughters who had rejoined the dinner party on the other side of the room. And he, I pray God will grant the desire of your heart. For us, we only make girls. Jana and Eliana are my youngest of six. My eyes widened, and I was about to comment on the blessing of such a large family, but my attention caught on the conversation between Joseph and Levi. Wish I could offer you better, Levi said sincerely, his hand on Joseph's arm. Your letter was the third I received from our relatives looking for a place to stay during the census. Our guest room is full to bursting. He used the word Cataluma, and I knew he was referring to the guest room on the upper floor of the house. I glanced again at the large group of laughing guests and counted 14, no, 15 people. No wonder they were bursting. My parents, Cataluma, only slept eight comfortably. But it is an honor to have you here, Levi said solemnly, and we will do our very best to make you comfortable here in the main living space. Joseph glanced at me briefly, concern showing in his eyes. It's fine, I mouthed, and it was. I didn't care about the guest room. The living area was warm, cozy, and familiar, even if we had to share it with the goats in their nearby stalls at night. Plus, now I didn't have to climb the stairs to the second floor. We thank you for your hospitality, cousin, Joseph said, firmly grasping Levi's hand. Truly. With this sentence, Bethlehem is about to overflow. I have never seen the street so full, especially at this hour of the night. They fell into comfortable conversation, and I went back to my stew, wiggling my toes occasionally. Reclined as I was against the cushion, I could barely see them over my mountain of a belly, but the tightness in my toes was leaving, and I knew the swelling was going down. The tightenings in my belly were another story. For the next two days, while I was spoiled with lotions and sweets and pregnancy teas by all of my new relatives, the now familiar, though not painful, pressure continued on an hourly basis, driving me absolutely crazy. That's it, I told Joseph on the third day of our visit as he walked into the door at midday. He had gone with Levi and the other men to get more information about where to register our family for the census. I was helping Ruth with the daily baking. As grateful as I was for all the pampering, I felt lazy, useless, and antsy lying around all day, and I insisted on being put to use, if only so I wouldn't go out of my mind as I waited to go into labor. I slammed the bread dough down on the flowery table with a violence that could only be understood by a woman who has been pregnant for far too long. I have accepted my lot. I am going to be pregnant forever. He kissed me lightly on the forehead. Then I am happy you are the most adorable pregnant woman I have ever seen. I growled at him and left a flowery smack on his backside as he left the house again, but not before squeezing my hand and giving me a sympathetic smile. However, as Ruth and I placed the loaves in the oven, a very new sensation came over me. A force that gripped my back, then wrapped vice-like fingers around my belly, pressing down with aching pressure. I caught my breath and pressed one hand to my lower back and one hand under my belly, leaning forward slightly. Mary, Ruth said, swiftly crossing to me and placing a hand at my shoulder. Are you all right, dear? I blew out a breath I had been holding from my pursed lips as the pang passed. I think, I said tentatively, hope glowing in my eyes as I looked at her expectant face. The mother of seven from our caravan was right. I did know. I 
think. She smiled. It's time. For the next few hours, we kept the news to ourselves, but the pangs were coming on a regular basis, around four to six in an hour, and then eight in an hour. I was so happy I felt giddy, practically giggling into the dough as we continued to shape it for the evening meal, pausing during each contraction to grip the table with floury knuckles, swaying slightly until it passed. Finally, finally! When Joseph came in with the men for dinner, I rushed over to him, clutching both his forearms. I'm in, I began, but my smile turned into a grimace as another pang swept over my body. Mary, he said in alarm as I dug my fingers into his arms, my head bowed. I even let out an involuntary groan as the pang finally drifted away. I'm in labor, I said joyfully, looking up into his face again. The wide-eyed panic in his eyes did not match the joy in mine. I felt him gripping my arms with an intensity nearly equal to my own. Ha ha, congratulations, cousin! Levi clapped Joseph on the shoulder with a force that made him stagger. Now don't worry, man, he said, seeing Joseph's pale face. She'll be all right. Just leave it to the women. Levi gave him two more resounding smacks on the back before stepping briskly over to Ruth. Should I go for the midwife, he asked, rubbing his hands together. Ruth glanced at me as I once again clutched Joseph's hands, bending over in pain. Yes, I think so, she said, and find something useful for all the men to do after everyone eats. We don't need you hanging around and getting in the way. She patted his arm. Thank you, my dear. Oh, and bring some water, too, she called after him as he bounded out the door. The male house guest ate a hurried meal and then left the house. Joseph was reluctant to leave, but after the midwife arrived, a tall, astute-looking woman named Tabitha, he felt a bit better. Ruth and her two young daughters were staying with me, too, and the other wives said they would help in any way they could after they got their little ones to sleep for the night. I tried to eat a few bites of my dinner in between my labor pains, but quickly gave up. I had no appetite. My joyful outlook at finally being in labor quickly faded with the sunset, and I felt anxiety and dread crashing down on me as each pang intensified. "'Try not to hold your breath, Mary,' Tabitha said in her low, calm voice. "'Breathe with me, in and out. That's it.' The pain passed, and the blessed break began, but my body felt shivery, even as sweat broke out across my forehead and down my back. "'Here, let's make you more comfortable.' Tabitha helped me out of my outer garment and dress until I was just clothed in my shift. In the process, my head covering came off and my long hair tumbled down around my face, sticking to my sweaty neck and getting caught in my lips. As another pain began, Ruth hurried forward and grasped my outstretched hand while Tabitha smoothed my hair back from my face, braiding it gently to keep it out of my way. Try to moan in a low voice, Mary, she instructed gently. Open your jaw. Clenched teeth, clenched womb. Open jaw, open womb. Breathe. And again, there it's passing now. The massive contraction almost brought me to my knees, and my hands, white-knuckled, shook almost violently in Ruth's. Oh, no, I said. I pressed my hand over my mouth, but it was too late. I fell to my knees and vomited all over Ruth's spotless floor. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I cried too weak and overwhelmed to do anything but sob. I wanted to help clean up my mess, but another pang surged over me. 
Still on my knees, I pressed my forehead to my clenched fist, my bottom swaying in the air as a loud moan erupted from my lips. The tears kept flowing, even as the contraction ended. Oh, my dear, don't apologize, Ruth said quickly, rubbing my back with firm circles with the heel of her palm. It happens. With Eliana, I emptied my stomach about a dozen times during my labor. She and Tabitha helped me to my feet and led me to the soft pallet they had prepared out of pillows and towels, all placed on top of a large oiled cloth. Shauna and Eliana worked silently throughout the room, cleaning up, bringing water and honeyed wine, and tending to the fire. I remember being the helper at the births of cousins and my mother's friends as a young girl. How was I the laboring woman now? Hours passed, I supposed. I really didn't know as I had no concept of time. Lost as I was in the blinding haze of intensifying pain as the contractions seemed to fall one on top of the other. I don't, I don't think I can do this, I cried, clutching at the front of Tabitha's dress. I can't, I... But another pang crashed down on me, bringing a shrill scream from my lips this time. Deep in your voice, Mary, the midwife soothed, countering the contraction with her strong hands on my lower back. Remember to breathe. That's it. Blow it out. Try. Try. That's it. Think of your baby. You are about to be a mother. But her words, meant to encourage and bolster my strength, were like a stab in my heart. A mother. As much as I longed to meet my long-awaited babe, my miracle child, I longed for my own mother with a matching intensity. She should be here. Why isn't she here? Why doesn't she believe me? Why doesn't she believe you? Sobs shook my body as I wept with the emotional pain of missing her in this foundational, formational moment of my life. Please, please. I didn't even know how to pray, what to pray, but my heart cried out to the God who had promised to make a record of all my tears, of every sorrow, every longing of my soul. I suffered through another contraction, my body and heart both smothered in pain. As the pang faded for the moment, I collapsed into Tabitha's lap, my tears falling hard and fast. I can't, I can't do this. She shifted her body so she was lying next to me, her clear gray eyes level with mine. You are doing it. You are so close, Mary. You are strong. You can. She placed her hand on my head and smoothed my hair back, reciting a prayer of blessing. Then she cupped my cheek with her hand. God is with you. I took a deep, shaky breath, locking my eyes with hers and, and reached up to cover her hand with mine. God is with me, I repeated, willing it to be so, knowing in my soul that by faith it was true, even if my feelings told me otherwise. God is with me. Emmanuel, he is with me. God, my Savior, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Suddenly, I gasped, and a gush of fluid flowed over my legs, baptizing us both in warmth, and I felt a powerful need to push. Smiling, Tabitha rose to her knees, assessing the situation. Good, your waters are clear. And the new noises that were suddenly coming from my mouth, deep, guttural groans that I didn't even know I could make. I vaguely heard Ruth tell the girls to gather more towels, a basin of water, and the swaddling cloth. My body was taking over, bearing down, even as I worked with each powerful wave to bring my child into the world. I closed my eyes tight, trying with all my might to remember to breathe. 
that's it, Mary. Tabitha encouraged. You're doing beautifully. All right, now rest. We'll push again with the next one. So I pushed and pushed. My hair was soaking wet and I was so hot that Ruth opened the shutters of one window after I threw off my shift in a fit of sweaty rage. I didn't care that I was naked. Nothing mattered. Nothing but getting this baby. Oh, good, Mary. Good, that's it. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And again, you can do this. Work with your body. Breathe. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That's it. That's it. Good. One more. You can do it. Yes. Now rest. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Breathe through the pain. One more time. One more time. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. Yes, you can. You can. You are doing it. Don't give up. You are strong. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. As he promised our ancestors, there it is. That's it. So close. You're so close. I can see the crown. Your babe is almost here, Mary. My whole body shook with exertion and exhaustion as I leaned over my belly, gripping my knees, my throat aching from my guttural groans and screams as tears flowed down my face. I could almost taste the invisible glory of this moment, teetering on the edge of heaven and earth, consumed by pain and wonder, afraid to go further, but too far gone to go back. Suddenly, the door burst open, making the goats cry with a startled bleeding. Am I too late? A voice exclaimed, Oh, Mary, my darling, I'm here, I'm here. And the moment after my mother tucked herself behind me, bracing me with her body and giving me the strength for the final life-altering push, my baby entered the world. This ends part two of Mary's story. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this, I would love if you could share and tell your friends. I think for me, this is giving me a new perspective on Christmas and just really widened my view of what it means to have God with us during this Christmas season. I hope it's done the same for you. If you can't wait for the next installment, you can head over to my blog, thebamblog.com and search for Mary's story and you can read part three. Merry Christmas. Have a great day, everyone. Are you going through the unexpected right now, this very moment? I've been there too. In my book, Unexpected, Learning to Love Your Unpredictable Story, I delve into many of the unexpected circumstances of my life. An unexpected twin pregnancy, autism ADHD diagnosis for my sons, a devastating miscarriage, the loss of my career, dealing with depression and anxiety, being a military wife, and so much more. My book is faith-based, so it may not speak to you in your personal journey. However, I strive to be inclusive and encouraging and not preachy, and women who don't have a personal faith tradition have told me that it has encouraged them. My hope and prayer is that as you are going through this unexpected season, my story will encourage you and provide comfort and support as you bravely walk this unfamiliar path. You can find Unexpected, Learning to Love Your Unpredictable Story on Amazon in print, Kindle, and audiobook format, because if you're a busy mom like me, audiobooks may be the only way you're reading these days. 
This is an excerpt from my audiobook, Unexpected, Learning to Love Your Unpredictable Story. For this month, anyone who signs up to be a $3 patron on Patreon will receive a free audible download of the whole book. If you become a $5 patron, I will send you a signed hard copy of the book. Chapter 9, Transitions. I don't think I do transitions very well, I told my counselor. How do I go through this military transition gracefully? After 11 years of marriage, I stopped saying no to my husband's desire to become a military officer, and we were about to leap into a completely different life. Yet even after I talked through my fears, expectations, and thought patterns with my counselor about my future, I still didn't have a clear, put-your-finger-on-it answer. How do you go through transitions gracefully, I asked myself. How do you accept change, even good change, when the world you are stepping into is completely unknown? I thought about other transitions I've gone through, some that nearly did me in, like becoming a mom to twin boys at the age of 23, getting an autism diagnosis for our son when he was eight, struggling with breastfeeding my fourth son, and quitting my job after I worked so hard in grad school to become a university English instructor. But this military transition has been one of the most challenging. My husband jokes that we aren't starting a new chapter in our lives, we're starting a whole new volume. Somehow, though, it's a small comfort to know that transitions are a part of what it means to be human. The only constant is change, right? There's transition in starting and ending a job. There is pain in the transformation of becoming a parent for the first time, and pain and adjustment in an empty nest. There are health transitions and wealth transitions. There is death of loved ones, pets, relationships, and dreams. I've done more stumbling than waltzing through my life transitions, fumbling in the dark for something called normal, and I think that's where I've missed the mark. I've been searching for normal. When I had my twins, the life I knew dissolved before my eyes. I spent weeks, months trying to cling to my pre-kids life, my past identity, my marriage, friendships, body image, time management, hobbies, sleep, the life as I knew it before kids. But the thing is, my pre-kids life was gone. Poof, it was no more. And the harder I tried to get back to that place, that old normal, the more frustrated, confused, and discontent I became about my life. I couldn't go back. I could only move forward. There's grief in the moving forward, in the unclenching of fingers from dreams and memories that are already slipping away. There's grief in the letting go. It's hard to say goodbye, especially to a life well-lived, a season of satisfaction, to the familiar, to what feels like home. I don't know what the future holds, but as I go through this transition, I'm clinging to faith that God still has so much good in store for me in the future, despite all of the unknowns. Embracing the grief, believing in the good, moving forward, maybe those are the keys to graceful transition. Meditation moment. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Isaiah 43, 2a, 18-19. 
Are you going through a time of transition right now? Write down three things that you are grieving over. Take some time to be sad. Write down three things that you're looking forward to in the future. Ask God to help you anticipate the good things He has planned for you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to receive an audio version of my book or a hard copy, please visit patreon.com slash the motherhood metamorphosis. Regular interview episodes will be back next week. Thanks so much for supporting this show.